Happy New Year, everyone! Now that the holidays are over, I don't have to do Christmas and Thanksgiving-themed messages, so I wanted to go back to the questions that I received on that piece of paper that I talked about earlier last year, with all of the questions from someone in our congregation about how we live a Christian life, and really questions about faith and the Bible. And one of the questions that I saw I thought would be really appropriate for this time of year. The question was, how do we be more Christ-like on a daily basis? And this question's a little different than just, how do we be a good follower of Christ? Because being a follower of Christ has to do with reading scripture to know what his teachings are, and praying to God regularly to deepen our relationship with him. But the question isn't about being a follower of Christ and a better follower, but rather being more like Christ in our day-to-day life. So that has less to do with our actions and more the condition of our heart. And that made the question really stand out to me, and I thought that that would be appropriate to talk about during this time of year because everybody is setting kind of those New Year's resolutions and setting new goals in their life that they want to strive for. And what could be better to strive for in your life than to imitate the character of Christ? So I picked out a passage, it's in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to go through this and talk a little bit about the way that Jesus interacts with the people in this passage of Scripture to see what we can identify concerning his character so that we can then strive to apply those same characteristics in our own life and in the ways that we interact with other people. So this is Luke chapter 7. It begins in verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a wonderful story about the incredible forgiveness of God. But I want to highlight some specific characteristics that we can see about Jesus within this story. The first thing I think that really pops out to me is that Jesus always accepted people. Now, of course, he didn't accept all of the actions of people. And sometimes there is people's actions or words or attitudes that Jesus spoke out against. But he never condemned people as a whole. And this is because Jesus believed in second chances for others. And that just because somebody had made mistakes in their life didn't mean that they were not worthy of forgiveness. In fact, when Jesus died, it paid the price of sin for all people. Because God longs for all people to come to him. And in this story in particular, you can see that Jesus accepted the woman whose life was full of sin. And he didn't judge her based on all of the mistakes she had made in the past. Instead, he addressed her in what she was doing at that moment. And not only did he accept the woman in this story, he also was accepting of the Pharisee. Most of us know that Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along very well. And yet we see at the start of this passage that the Pharisee invites Jesus into his home for dinner. And Jesus accepts that offer. And even after the Pharisee makes his snarky remark about the woman, about how she's a sinner, and if Jesus was a prophet, then he, he wouldn't let her touch her in this way. Even after that remark, Jesus still uses the opportunity to teach Simon, the Pharisee, a new lesson. And so we can see that even though this woman lived a life of sin against God, sin and rebellion against God, and even though this Pharisee was from this group of people that would oppose Jesus on a regular basis, Jesus was still willing to go into the Pharisee's house to have dinner with him and also to forgive the woman for all of the sins that she had committed. He accepted both of them. And it's sometimes difficult to accept a person into your life. And in fact, I think it's easier to be open and accepting of a stranger than it is to be accepting of someone that you know you don't like. Because if it's a stranger, it's a blank slate. You don't know anything about them. You don't know what, they, what kind of life they've had, what kind of life they will have. So it's easy to say, yeah, you know, let's, let's hang out, let's talk, I'll give you a chance. It's a lot harder when you've known someone for days, weeks, months, years, and the more you find out about them, the less you like them. And to still be as accepting of that person as you would of someone you've never even met before. But Jesus accepted all who would come to him. You see, God is willing to forgive anyone who comes to him, asking for 
forgiveness. Anyone who repents from their sin, God is willing to accept them and completely let go of all of the past between them and God. And sometimes it's a lot harder for us to let go of that past that we have with other people. In fact, sometimes we really grab on to just one or two instances in the past of our past relation with them And we hold that over their heads forever because we don't want to let that go. And we as people are just kind of like that, where we will condemn a whole person based on a mistake that they have made. Even if it wasn't a real thing that happened. I I find it funny sometimes when uh, I hear someone talk about how they don't like a certain actor or actress. And I say, well, why don't you like them? And they say, well, they played this one character that was really mean. So I don't like them. (laughs) And that always makes me laugh because I have to remind them that they're not that person. They say, oh, I know, I know, I know. I know it's just a character they play, but I still don't like them because of it. See, for us, it's really difficult. For us as people, it's difficult to separate a person from a past experience we've had with that person. And sometimes it's difficult for us to just do that with an actor or actress that plays a really good villain. To separate that actor or actress from the character they played. And yet, how much more difficult is it to separate someone from the mistakes of their past? And yet, that's what God does for us. And that's what Jesus exemplifies in this story. Of even though he has all these arguments with Pharisees that when Simon invites him into his house, he's willing to go. And as this woman is weeping at his feet, he is willing to let go of her life of sin and call her out into something more. And so if we want to have the character of Christ in our life and be more Christ-like on a daily basis, we have to be willing to forgive people and accept them. That doesn't mean that you condone all of their words and actions, but it's simply saying that you don't condemn that person. And before you can begin to accept someone, you first have to be willing to forgive them for anything in their past that they are repentant of. And that's difficult to do, But again, that's part of building the characteristic of Christ in our life. Let's look at another thing that Jesus does in this passage that I really like, which is that when Simon makes this accusation about what this woman is doing, and he tries to bring up all this past baggage that she has to add to his condemnation of her, that Jesus then leads Simon through this process of adding more context to the situation. And I love that Jesus does this, that he doesn't take things out of context or he doesn't limit the context. In fact, he keeps things in context, and if anything, he simply adds more context to the situation. And he begins by adding kind of an abstract context, of a feeling that comes from having a debt forgiven. 
And that is a feeling that the Pharisee can understand. And so he starts there with that abstract context, and then he even goes to a a historical context, bringing up the lack of things that Simon did for him, and comparing that then to what the woman is doing. And I love that Jesus does that, that he realizes that in order to bring his argument against Simon, all he has to do is provide more context to explain what the woman is doing and why it is something to be accepted rather than rejected. And the thing that I think makes the fact that Jesus does this so much cooler is that he doesn't mention any of this until now. Even as this woman is is washing his feet and pouring perfume on him, He doesn't look at Simon and say, well, you didn't do that for me. He doesn't bring it up until Simon brings it up. Simon brings up what she is doing. And it is only then that Jesus brings it up to make his point. So Jesus is trying his best to deal with this present situation that he is in. And Simon is the one trying to bring up the woman's past. And so Jesus then addresses Simon's past for comparison. But he doesn't address the past until it's connected to what's going on in the present. Because he wants to make sure that it still applies to the context that is being addressed. So not only is he providing context, but he is providing the right context at the right appropriate time. And that is a skill that can be so beneficial to our lives when we learn how to use that skill correctly. So let me kind of give an example of this to help clear up what exactly I'm talking about here. Obviously, I'm married. And my wife and I, before we were married, we both dated other people. Now, I see no reason for me to pry into all of the details of her past relationships, right? I don't need to know how many, how many seconds her first kiss lasted. I'm just not interested in that. I don't have any need to know. Because none of that has to do with our current relationship now. Now, let's say that one of my wife's ex-boyfriends reaches out to us as a couple and says that he's going to be in town for an event and he just wants to know if he can crash on our couch for a night so he doesn't have to uh, rent a hotel. In that scenario, all of a sudden those details of her past relationship become a lot more relevant to my current situation. And I would probably have to get more information from her to determine whether or not we would let her ex-boyfriend crash on our couch. But see, in the situation I'm in now, there's no need for me to know all of the details. None of that context has anything to do with my current situation. But if I was in that different situation, where he wanted to come and stay at our place then that context matters. And so I love that that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, 
is that he understands the full context, both the context of the woman's feelings compared to Simon's feelings, as well as the history of what the woman has done for Jesus in this home at this moment compared to Simon's inaction. And he recognizes that context and yet still doesn't bring it up until Simon begins to make a critique about it. And then he provides the extra context that Simon needs in order to understand the error of what he has said. And Jesus realized that by adding the extra context of forgiveness and the love that comes from that forgiveness, as well as the actions that the woman was performing right then and there, that that extra context made it so that that woman's sinful past was not an isolated event separate from what she was doing now. And that what she was doing now was not separate from Simon's inaction, nor was it separate from the forgiveness that was available to her and the love that would come from that. That all of those things were connected to one another and that as Jesus would provide that extra context, it would open up Simon's eyes to the truth of Scripture that he was teaching him. Jesus kept things in context and added more context at the appropriate time, recognizing that none of those things were isolated from one another. They were all connected. And we have to have that same kind of perception in everything that we have, every event we have, every teaching we receive, to not just isolate it into separate categories, but realize that it all has to work together and connect with each other to bring us to a greater understanding of the truth and help us to be able to then share that truth with other people. So we have to keep things in perspective. And then the last thing that I wanted to point out that Jesus does here has to do with the way that he opens up Simon's eyes to the truth. And the way that he goes from this place of opposition with Simon to actually connecting with Simon and bringing him to a new understanding of the truth of God. And the way he does this is by asking him questions. And really, if you look at Jesus' ministry, more often than not, he connects with people through asking them questions. And there is a reason that he does this. If you look at the, uh, the questions that Jesus asked Simon in this passage, first he talks about this scenario where somebody is forgiven a greater debt than someone else. And rather than saying, well, that's going to lead to him loving that person more, he asks Simon the question, now which of them will love him more? And when Simon then replies, well, the, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, Jesus says, yes, you're right, and then asks another question, do you see this woman? And what Jesus is doing through these questions 
is he is ensuring that he has found common ground with Simon and establishing a further common ground with him. So he begins with something he can understand. Oh, the bigger the debt forgiveness, the more the love will be. And he makes sure who's going to love him more and let Simon think through that and realize the one whose debt was bigger. And Jesus says, okay, you were right. Now we have this common ground. We now understand that a bigger forgiveness equals a greater love. And then ask the question, do you see this woman? And the rest of what Jesus, is sa- what Jesus says there is just reiterating what the woman is doing. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So what he's doing there is saying, okay, we found this common ground. Now let's apply it to what's going on here. And he does so through asking the question, both the questions, which of them will love him more? And then do you see this woman? connecting the common ground that they have found to a new common ground applying to this situation. And questions are really good at doing this. Questions are an excellent way of making sure that you are on the same page as someone else. Because when you ask someone a question, one of the things that does is is show the person that you're listening to them so they know that you are being heard or that they are being heard by you, and that you make sure that what you're talking about is being heard by them, so you come to that mutual understanding. And then it lets you introduce a new idea in a way that gives them time to process through that idea. So when Jesus asks, now which of them will love him more, instead of just telling Simon, well, the one who loved, you know, the one who was forgiven more will love him more. Instead of just telling that to Simon, he lets Simon think through it and realize, oh, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And that makes him feel a stronger connection with Jesus because now it's not Jesus bringing a new idea uh, into his thinking, although that's really what Jesus is doing. But in Simon's perspective, he is coming to that conclusion on his own. And Jesus is just guiding him into that new idea. So it's not necessarily Jesus trying to shove a new idea into Simon's mind. It's Jesus allowing Simon to be guided through this line of thinking to come to that conclusion. And the way that works is by giving, asking that question and giving him time to process that new idea. And boy, if that's something we can learn in our life, it will make an incredible difference in our ability to connect with others. Because if we don't take that time and we try to teach teach somebody something without first establishing that common ground, it's not going to work at all. There'll be miscommunications and, and Probably it could lead to a lot of arguing and yelling because you're not on the same page. You're not starting from the same place. So let's say, for instance, that 
I wanted to share my opinion of René Girard's comparison of Christ's sacrifice as being a scapegoat for mimetic desire. Now, I'm sure most of you out there probably have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about just from that point. So if my goal is to talk about that subject, I would not want to begin by saying, well, you know, I think that his comparison is, is reductive and, and ultimately flawed because it doesn't leave room for a change in nature in the redemption process. See, if I start going on about my conclusion on that subject, you are going to be completely lost. You'll have no idea what I'm talking about because we're not starting from the same place. So if I wanted to begin to have that discussion with you, I would begin by asking the question, are you familiar with the concept of mimetic desire? Have you heard that phrase before, mimetic desire? And if you said, no, I've never heard of that before, then I would ask another question. Okay, well, have you ever wanted something just because somebody else wanted it? Say, for instance, that you were a child and, and you saw a toy on TV in, in a commercial and, and all of your friends wanted that toy. And so you then wanted the toy too, even though you probably didn't really play with the toy a lot after you got it because you didn't really want it. But just because everybody else wanted it, you wanted it too. Have you ever experienced something like that where you just kind of wanted something because everybody else wanted it too? And you'd probably say, yeah, I've experienced something like that. I'd say, okay, well, that's mimetic desire. That's the concept of mimetic desire, is wanting something just because somebody else wants it. See, that's how I would begin that discussion, is making sure that we now have a common understanding between us before I ever start going off into my own opinions about the rest of what I was talking about. I start by establishing the common ground, and if I find that that common ground isn't there, that you don't know what mimetic desire is, well, I'll see if I can find something in your own experiences to compare it to, so that you are then able to say, oh yes, I know what you're talking about, I've experienced that, and bring us to the same page closer and, and quicker. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. When Simon says, this woman's a sinner. She shouldn't be touching him. Jesus doesn't start by saying, well, actually, Simon, because she's a sinner, she actually loves me more than you do. Because if that's what Jesus had said right from the start, it would have gone way over Simon's head. And instead, Jesus used questions to lead him through this process. Which of those two loved him more? Now do you see this woman in a new light, in what she is doing, compared to what you did not do? Now the example I gave of my opinion on that uh, subject, when I did it the wrong way, what happened was I was making an assumption, a wrong assumption, about the knowledge that you had. And say, oh, mimetic desire, they know what I'm talking about. René Girard's comparison of Christ's sacrifice as a scapegoat. Yeah, sure, they must know about all of this. So I'm going to start talking about that. If I assume that you have that knowledge, it's not going to work well for me to try to connect with you going forward in that conversation. Now, that's an example of an assumption made about your knowledge. 
Can you imagine, and I'm sure you can, how much worse that could be in making an assumption about people's motivations? People's motives and desires. And yet I feel like so often we do that. We assume that somebody acted a certain way because of this intent. And oftentimes we'll judge them based on the assumption that we've made about them. But that's not how Jesus, how Jesus interacted with others. He asked them questions, established that common ground, and then used that common ground to then build further understanding in other subjects and in other areas as well. So if we want to have a character like Jesus, we have to make sure that we are not making assumptions about people, but instead connecting with them through asking them questions in order to find the common ground that you can share together and then begin moving them into new things that you can try to find an understanding on in that area. But that's how Jesus did it, and I absolutely love it. So Jesus accepted people, he kept things in context, and he connected with others through questions. And so if we want to have that same kind of characteristic of Christ in our life and in our daily interactions with people, we have to be willing to forgive others so that we can accept them. We have to recognize that uh, events and ideas are not isolated, but connected with all other events and ideas, and also make sure that we're not making assumptions about people as well. And I really like this because, you know, recently I did a series on the purpose of time and talked about the past, present, and future. And when I look at these themes that Jesus did and the character that Jesus had, I see that a lot of that is time-related as well, because we can have a character like Christ by recognizing the past, addressing the present, and not assuming the future. In recognizing the past, we are understanding the context and bringing that context into the discussion when appropriate. In addressing the present, we are finding common ground with people through the questions that we ask in order to deal with the current situation. And then not assuming the future has to do with accepting the person because you aren't making assumptions that they're going to act a certain way in the future. You are leaving room for them to have a change in their life rather than assuming that the way they've acted in the past is the way that they are going to continue to act. And each and every one of us who have come to a knowledge of Christ in our life, truly understand the error in assuming that someone will always be the same. Because the change that has happened in our own hearts and lives as we've become followers of Christ is, is clearly night and day. And the person we were before is not the same person we are now. And for us to assume that someone is going to always be the same doesn't leave room for God to do a work in their life. So we shouldn't assume their future. 
So this is how we can have a character like Christ. Recognize the past and keeping things in context. Address the present by finding common ground with others. And don't assume the future by accepting a person as they are now, not as they've been before, or how they might be in the future. And if we can do these things and strive to have these characteristics in our life, then we will truly be more Christ-like in our daily interactions with others. And I pray that this has been helpful for each and every one of you who have gone through this with me. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me through either the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.